Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Priests in the Old and New Testament did basically two things more than anything else. Number one, they prayed or what we call interceded for the people. And number two, they offered animal sacrifices for the people's sins. And there were all kinds of animal sacrifices, primarily lambs or goats or a calf or a bull, or the King James calls them a bullock. But these were offered for the people's sins. The first high priest was a, a dude named Aaron. He was the brother of Moses. And Aaron was appointed by God himself. And on the Jewish high festival day called the Day of Atonement, that is the highest festival day in the, in, in the, Jews, in the Jews' calendar. See, Aaron would take a goat. He would take an unblemished, perfect goat. And here's what Aaron and every high priest since Aaron and every priest since Aaron would do. And this is where we get into the book of Leviticus. In chapter 16 and verse 21, <clears throat> he, that's Aaron, Leviticus 16, 21, is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat, okay? And then confess over it all the wickedness and rebelliousness of the people of the Israelites. And so he's to lay his hands on that goat and then pray for the people. And on their behalf, see, he's interceding, confess their sins. And he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for that task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins, or on itself all their sins, to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. So here's what's going on here. In a symbolic way, Aaron is transferring all the people's sins. He's laying his hands on that goat, and he's transferring the sins of all the people of Israel onto that goat. And he sends it off into the desert, never to be seen again. Now you look at God's word. Sheep are always the good guys, right? Sheep are the good guys, and the bad guys are the goats. And who is the ultimate goat? Jesus Christ himself. He is the ultimate goat. Think about that. Jesus Christ himself, the perfect, innocent son of God, is, is the ultimate bad guy because the Father laid our sins on him, see? And like that goat in Leviticus 16, they're all on him, and he takes them out into a desert, so to speak, but they're never to be seen or heard from again. And he is the superior priest. See, but the priest paid for, prayed for those people. That's the big deal. They intercede. He laid his hand on that goat, and he prayed for the sins of the people. And the rebelliousness, says the word of God of the people, that God would forgive their sins. Now you've got to get to Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews chapter 7.25. This is a real key verse in Scripture. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely, that's a big word, those who come to God, meaning the Father, through him, because, listen now, he always lives to intercede for them, for the people, for you and me. He's always interceding on behalf of our sins. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get the picture here. There is a great drama that goes on in heaven that I don't fully understand. I don't think anybody in the world understands this. I don't think anybody's ever understood this. But there's a great drama going on in heaven because Satan is called the accuser. I mean, the word Satan means it. It means it means accuser and, and satan is always accusing us before god the father for some reason god allows this evil malevolent being the devil into heaven and he's always accusing you 
And Jesus Christ is always there interceding on our behalf. I mean, you remember the book of Job, Job 1. God allows devil into heaven. Like I said, for whatever reason, the devil says, I mean, you think Job is so righteous, leave me at him. And God, he's going to cuss you in your face. Leave me at Job. <laughs> I'll get him to a point where he will curse you to his face and curse the day he died, the day he was born. And he's accusing Job. Revelation chapter 12 just confirms this. It says, it's talking about Satan being cast down to earth. And it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, about the middle of the verse, listen now, just listen to this. For the accuser of our brothers, who, listen to this, who accuses them before God the Father day and night, day and night, day and night. He accuses us before God the Father day and night has been hurled down. He has been hurled out of heaven day and night, day and night, day and night. Satan accused me. He, he says, he says, God, did you see that guy? A pastor, Dennis Rasper. You put your name in here. You put your sin in here. And here's Jesus, man. This drama goes on. This is so cool. I'll tell you. He, he, he intercedes. He says, he says, Father, you know, you know I paid for that sin. It's already been punished in me. You can't punish him. Punish me. God, Father, knows that. It's already been paid for by me, and Satan walks away sulking. Folks, I don't know. Why does God the Father have to be reminded of that all the time? I don't know. I mean, why doesn't Satan take a clue and quit accusing us? He knows Christ is going to intercede for every believer. I mean, I don't know. But I know that drama goes on in heaven all the time. And Jesus Christ is a superior high priest, folks, because he is praying for you. He intercedes for your sins. He tells the Father, that sin is on me. That's why you're never going to lose your salvation, folks. See, Jesus, our high priest, is always praying for you and me to the Father. And not only for our sins, man, he prays for all this other stuff, too, man. I tell you, I look at Luke, I look at Hebrews 4. You're going to love this passage, too. This is a very precious passage to most people. Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest, Jesus, God himself in heaven, who is, who is unable to sympathize do you have any weaknesses to sympathize with those deals? But we have one, listen now, who has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. That makes him superior. He's a superior high priest because he never sinned. But you know what? He knows how we're tempted. He knows you and me. He, he sympathizes. I mean, our God in heaven sympathizes. He sympathizes because he came in a human body to planet earth and did not stay in his ivory tower, so to speak, in heaven. I mean, you know how I think about this? I say God, because Christ is God, is beseeching God on your behalf all the time. I mean, this is mind-boggling. Like I said, I don't have a handle on this. But just to know that's going, man, what a blessing. And he sympathized with my weakness. And he sympathized with all the stuff you're going through, man. I mean, he's trying to get you. He's praying for the Father. To get you. He can get you through stuff. But the Father's the head of the Trinity. So he prays to the Father that the Father's going to help get you through stuff. And they're working for you, Jesus and the Father. I mean, let's say that um, you have a husband who's very interested in your body. But not much else, ladies. I mean, you've got gifts and talents. Not interested in that. You've got ideas and viewpoints, and he's not interested in that. Doesn't notice any of that, but he notices your tight sweater. And he's always gone. And he doesn't notice you. And you say, you know, I got these two kids, but for two cents. And he's up there praying for you, man. He's up there praying for you, man. He's praying that you have the strength and the con commitment to his word to go through this, man. The trust that he and his father together by the Spirit are working for you. See, he's praying for that. You don't know that, man. He's praying for every situation in your life like that. So let's say you have a limited income. 
and you are the provider and protector of your family. And there's so much more you'd like to do for your family, so much more you'd like to give, and it hurts, man. You wish you could work two more jobs, but there's only 24 hours in a day. He understands that, man. He understands that totally. And here's the deal. He feels, Hebrews 4.15, he sympathizes with you. He takes this to his father. I don't know if that helps you, man, but that's going on for you all day, every day. You're going through this deal. You are never alone. You have, you, you have the second and first person of the Trinity, you know, Working for you through the Holy Spirit, man. That point is you are never alone. You are never, ever, ever, ever alone. You want to see that Christ is praying for you? Just one more, just to show you this. He's interceding. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Jesus says to his disciples, Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan came to me, said, I want to take Simon Peter through the ringer. And Jesus says, okay. Has to give the devil permission. Then verse 37, but I had prayed for you. I'm going to let the devil come at you. But while he's coming at you, I am praying for you that your faith does not fail. And when you have turned back, I'm going to use you to strengthen your brothers who go through the same thing. See, he's always praying for you, man. He's praying that you get through this. You have an advocate. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Or a defense attorney, you might say, in heaven. You are never alone. And that just, that just frazzles my mind, folks. So let me lay something on you and me. We need to intercede. That's the big deal. You and me need to intercede for other people. You know, it's really good to cry out, oh, God, you know, God, I need you so much, and tell him exactly what's going on in your life. That's part of prayer. God wants to hear that. But you know what? We need to learn to intercede. Priest intercede. In a sense, you can be a priest. We need to learn to intercede for other people. That's intercession. That's God's will. You know what? Especially when you're down in the dumps about your own life, start praying more for others than yourself. And understand this. The Father brings people into your life. When you intercede for other people, you've got to understand that the Father brings people into your life. I mean, that's part of sovereignty. That's part of divine providence. The Father brings people into your life, and, and he, he brings people into your life. And there's a lot of deep theology here. But the Father brings people into your life so you can pray for them. Because the Father will work in their lives in response to prayer. Now, you don't pray for him. He'll raise up somebody else to pray for him. But God has given you the responsibility and the privilege of praying that's intercession for these people. And I just want you to think about this because this blesses me. And if it works for me, it'll work for you. When you pray for people, just think about the people God brings into your life, people you want to pray for. And think about what particular biblical principle or what particular biblical passage will just affect their lives at that time the situation they're going through. Think about the people that God brings into your life. Then think about the Word of God and think about what principle from God's Word is really going to bless these people. It may bring them down too, but in a sense, that's a blessing too, if that's what you got to pray for. And I'll tell you what, man, when you do that and you pray that passage or that principle back to the Father, man, you are blessing those people so much. You're doing the best thing anything anybody can do for a man. I mean, you are changing them. You're in part responsible for getting them through this mess. You're, in, you're responsible. This should light your fire, man, to take them to another level. And above all, pray or intercede for people's salvation. Because you know what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says? It says, devils are blinding them from believing the truth. So what do you pray? Well, you pray, open their hearts, Father. Open their hearts, Father. You pray for those people. Or maybe you pray for someone and say they need to grow up. They're making stupid decisions. They're hanging around dumb people or not the right people. 
and pray for the right people to come into their lives or pray that they marry a believer in Jesus Christ or pray that they'll be able to stand against adversity or pray for them to see God in this illness and believe God is working out his good purpose. And boy, do I love to see it when people get through something. And I know my intercessory prayer was the best time I could have put in for those folks. So what do priests do? Number one, they intercede. Number two, they sacrifice animals. And that's a biggie. You know, I, I just look at the book. I, I look at the book of Leviticus in, in chapter one, the burnt offering. Chapter two, the grain offering. That's not a blood offering, though. Chapter three, the fellowship offering. That's a blood offering. Chapter four, the sin offering. That's a blood offering. Chapter five, the guilt offering. Chapter six, the whole deal starts all over again. See, in Leviticus chapter nine, I, you, you got to see this. When you think about animal sacrifices, Leviticus chapter nine. Remember I said Aaron, the brother of Moses, was the first high priest well, look what these guys did. Look at, look at chapter 9 of Leviticus, third book of the Bible. Chapter 9 of Leviticus, verse 8. So Aaron came to the altar, and what did he do? He slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. And look at verse 12. Then he slaughtered, this is the NIV Bible, he slaughtered the burnt offering. Then you go to verse 15. No, 18, 18. He, what did he do? He slaughtered the ox and the ram as fellowship offerings. I mean, he slaughtered here, he slaughtered there. The blood is flowing. They were always slaughtering. They were, all, they were always sacrificing animals and shedding blood. Chapter 17 of Leviticus, verse 11. Boy, th this is key. This is really, this is one of the key passages in the whole Old Testament. For the life of a creature is in the what? The blood, see, the life of, a, and you know the life of a creature is in the blood. They take a, I mean, for everything that's wrong with me, they want to test my blood and my blood can show what's wrong with me, right? The life is in the blood, see, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Listen now, it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. To cover your sins, blood had to be shed. That was the Father in heaven's sovereign decree. And now you know. People have asked, why didn't Jesus Christ die by a heart attack? Why all that gore? Why didn't he die from a stroke? Why didn't he die from liver failure? Why didn't he die from something like that? Because Leviticus 17, 11 says the life is in the blood and blood had to be poured out. Blood had to be shed. A heart attack wouldn't do it. Jesus' blood had to be shed. And he did bleed, didn't he? He bled from his back. He bled from his head with the crown of thorns. He bled from his side. He bled from his wrist. He bled from his feet. And it's the blood that makes atonement for your sins. Okay? Now, you get to Hebrews. And you look, about, you look at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And understand, it's the law of Moses that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, where all these blood sacrifices were commanded, okay? The law, meaning the Mosaic law, is only a shadow of the good things to, that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it, the law which commanded all those sacrifices, can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly, year after year after year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. I'll explain that. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer feel guilty for their sins. But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of their sins. 
And here it comes, because it is impossible. All these blood animal sacrifices. It is impossible for the blood, these animal sacrifices commanded by the Mosaic law, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. Animal sacrifices could never remove them. Animal sacrifices could only cover your sins. You know what that means? Thank God you live this side of the cross. I thank God for that all the time. Because, you know, if I were, if I were an Old Testament believer, I could, never have, I could never have peace of mind, peace of conscience. Because those sins would never be removed. See, all animal sacrifices did was cover them because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and, and, and goats to what? Take away or remove sins, see? I mean, it's just like you and your closets and drawers. What do you do? You'll take something and jam it in the closet and close the door to hide it. And every now and then you walk by that closet, walk by that drawer, and you feel a tinge of guilt saying, one of these days, don't you say that? One of these days, I'm going to get in that closet, I'm going to organize that closet, I'm going to clean out that drawer, and I'm going to organize that drawer, see? And you feel a little bit guilty. Well, that was animal sacrifices. It just covered it. It just hid the garbage. It's all the animal sacrifice. Just put like a blanket over the garbage so you don't have to look at it. They were very, very, very temporary. Hebrews 10, 4, they could never take away your sins. Now, here's a major point of doctrine. And if you understand this, man, you are growing in the word and growing in the truth because you're beginning to see the relationship between the Old and the New Testaments. The blood of goats and, bull, goats and bulls, Hebrews 10, 4, could never take away your sins. Only cover them for a while, only hide them. The guilt is always still there, but now you've got to go to John chapter 1, 29. And you're going to see something pretty neat here. Once you begin to understand this and get a handle on this, man, you are growing in the word. See, the blood of bulls and animals can never, ever, ever take away your sins. You're always going to live with guilt. You're never going to have assurance of salvation. But look at verse 29. That's why I say, aren't you glad you live this side of the cross? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And what did he say? Look or behold, King James. Behold, that's the way I learned it. Behold the Lamb of God that what? takes away. See, all those animal sacrifices could only cover. They pointed to the perfect Lamb of God. Now you see why he's superior? The superior Lamb of God who removes or takes away your sins. He is superior to all those animal sacrifices, all those priests. Only his blood could remove sins and those sins will never ever condemn you. Jesus' blood makes you as white as snow. Here, this is 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ his, covers us from all sin. His suffering, death, and his resurrection makes you acceptable for heaven. And man, you've got to know this. You've got to more than know this, folks. You've got to believe this. Nothing removes my sin. Nothing makes me acceptable to God. You know, nothing but the blood of Christ. You've got to come under the blood, man. Nothing removes my sin. Nothing makes me acceptable to God. You know, not my personality, not my pious words, not taking care of my eccentric dad who wants everything the way it's been for the last 58 years with no changes. You know, a lot of people hold on to that and say, that's why I'm going to heaven. Seriously. None of that. Only the blood of Jesus. Now listen, this whole deal about sacrifice brought some life applications to mind. Hebrews 10, verse 1, says this. The law is, the, that Mosaic law that commands the sacrifices is only a shadow of the good things to come. See that? For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, Year after year after year after year after year after year after year, make 
perfect those people who draw near to worship. Endless ritual, endless rite, endless sacrifice, always going through the motions, you know? I mean, people would bring their animal sacrifice to the temple or the synagogue and drop them off for the priest to slaughter. Here, here's my animal, man. Here's, here's the thing that's going to cover my sins. And they say, okay, I'm covered for the ne next six weeks. <laughs> I did my duty. Hey, my man, the priest turned man, he slaughters those suckers, gets me off the hook for a while. You know what Jesus did? They were just going through the motion. He cried over that. I've got to tell you, folks, our Lord shed tears. This is Luke 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, he's standing on this little plateau. He sees, he, he's just looking down at the city. All those people bringing that, bringing that animal sacrifice. Did my duty. Out the door. Thanks, priest. You know, go through their ritual. Go on with life. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, what did he do? He wept over it. He wept over it. And he said, you guys, you folks don't know what makes for peace. It is so easy to go through the motions of religion and fulfill some kind of religious duty and miss the best and miss the best. Miss the blessings of knowing him. Here's how we put it in, in church, churchy language today. We say it's the difference between religion and relationship. That's very churchy language. But it's the difference between religion and relationship. So, you know, I think we need to ask ourselves, are you just into religion? Or do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this all you're being here today? What you do? Oh, is this just religion? You know, did my duty for another week. Or is it relationship? So take this little test. About four or five signs of a relationship. First, you love him. Because you understand he gave his life for you. You're going to heaven. Nothing can take that from you, see? I mean, your life has a direction. Your life has a meaning. Do you know how many people don't have that? How many people don't see any meaning or direction, linear direction or purpose to their lives? They think it's like circular. They have no linear direction and so on and so forth. They see no big picture, no destiny. No, no, you love him because you see where you're going. You know what he did for you. You know where your life is going. That's relationship. Secondly, you know you have a relationship when you trust him. You know, things aren't moving as fast as you'd like him to, but you know he's leading you, see? He's taking you where you should go. The trust factor means everything. He'll never lead you the wrong way. You trust that. Where you lead, I will go. That's relationship. How about this? Here's another sign of relationship. When you're sensitive to the Spirit, when you, when you are so in tune with God through His Word that the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and you can say no to this and yes to this and no to this and yes to that because you sense in your spirit, you can't quote chapter and verse, but you sense in your spirit this is the direction God wants you to go and you listen to Him. Fourth, you know you have a relationship with them when you're content. Oh, this is a biggie. This is a biggie. You don't have to have more stuff. He is enough. Okay, our Lord is superior to sacrifices. One animal sacrifice after another. We're just about done. A priest in both the Old and New Testament prayed for, interceded for the people, and he offered sacrifices, okay? Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice of his life. He was the ultimate, the ultimate goat, I said, the ultimate bad guy. I mean, just think what he gave up. He gave up heaven. What did he give up heaven? What did he get? He gave up per the perfection of heaven. What did he get? A human, a human body. What did he get? Pressure. You, you got, I hate pressure. But, you know, you, 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 maybe you thrive under pressure, see? But, but Jesus had this pressure on him. He had three years to save the world. That kind of pressure. He had three years. That's what he got. All that, you know, the pain of death and all that before he got resurrection and glorification. All I'm saying is our salvation cost Jesus something. That is the nature of sacrifice. Sacrifice has a price attached. Sacrifice costs you. I'm preaching it myself right now. But I'm not sure that some of us really understand what, what real sacrifice is. 
I really don't believe we understand what real sacrifice is. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book. He was a pastor in Germany during the Third Reich, lost his life for, for, for standing up for his faith. He wrote a classic book called The, um, the Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer co coined the phrase cheap grace. That's what I'll always remember from that book. He coined the phrase cheap grace. What is cheap grace? You want the blessings of your faith, but you don't want to make the sacrifices. Now, I'm going to give one Bible passage. I want to read this to you. Luke 14, 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. King James says, forsake everything he has. The cost of being a disciple. He says, give up everything. Here's what it means. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you so surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ that you let go of the control of your life? Can you give up the control of your life? and say, if you lead me here, God, I may not want to go there, but I'm going. If you take this away from me, I may not like it, but, but I'm going to let go of it, see? There's a cost to discipleship. Are you willing to let go? Or do you want the best of, of, of God, of Jesus Christ, or in everything you want beside? See, that's the cost of discipleship. That's the real meaning of sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.